Uh, you may be seated. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles already in your hands, I would invite you to find Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll walk the aisles and give one to you. If you're in the sanctuary, there's one there in the pew in front of you. You have them before you at True Worth. Uh, if you're online, I trust in your home, uh, we sent out a few Bibles to some of you. Uh, you now have that at your disposal or you're going to go get you one. I know I do not have the coronavirus. <laughs> but I got something in my throat. And so I just have a legion of people praying that it's going to last this service and one more. So I'm just going to trust that's going to happen. Uh, if you are new, we're very humbled that you would come here. Um, this is not a perfect place. And if you're looking for a perfect place, you're at the wrong place. Uh, but if you're looking for a place where people are just kind of real, and just kind of struggling through life trying to figure stuff out, and who somehow just found out there's something in this book and the teachings of Jesus that just seem to help life, not just in heaven, but on this earth a little bit better, uh, you're at the right place. And uh, if you are new, I'd love to meet you. If you're just stumbled to us online, you've been watching for a long time, again, please connect with us somehow with those of the pastors that are online there. If you're in the sanctuary and you're new, I'll be out in the crossing area by the Welcome Center. Anyone here, I'd, I'd love to meet and connect with you for a few moments. Now, we're beginning this week in a new message series we're calling Grace, because Lent is really a journey of grace. If you were here last Wednesday, uh, you picked up a bag like this. If you're here this morning on the property, uh, you may pick up one of these. And in this little sack are some rocks. I have already written on my bag, Lent 2020. And this is a spiritual discipline, a tool. All this is a tool that you can use however you would like. Uh, you may want to have, take out these rocks and write some things on them. Maybe it's something you're trying to overcome in your life. Uh, maybe it's someone in your life you're praying for that needs a little grace. Uh, maybe for you, it's just the, the symbols, the, the baggage that you carry. I mean, some of you got baggage. And you're just going to carry it with you all the way to Easter. And you're going to lay it down and say, I'm done carrying that baggage. Uh, for me, one of the things I'm doing, when I read my Bible in the morning, I take my rocks and I open it up, and I have that little bag right there. It kind of remind me of the grace of Christ. Uh, some people, like remember in the scriptures, some people take these rocks and throw them at people, remember? <laughs> I'm not saying you do that. I'm saying you put that person's name on a rock and you pray that God gives you the grace to give them grace. But whatever, use this. So get one before you leave. Take it home with you. Use it. Take care of it with you uh, as we go through this season. Uh, the journey to the cross is Lent, and it is a journey of grace. And I will tell you, I am still just uh, really overwhelmed by this concept of grace. I think it's the most compelling uh, concept in Scripture. And it blows my mind that the perfect and holy God would show a little goodness and kindness to someone like me. Anybody here, when you really think about it, really kind of blown away that a good and perfect holy God would be even a little bit good? Uh, that's called grace. Uh, that, that's what that is. So that's where we're headed. Uh, for the next four weeks, we're going to look at four parables, four parables. 
uh, that I think are going to help expand our understanding of grace. Week five is going to be baptism weekend. We're going to look at a story in the book of Acts of grace that ends in baptism. And if you have someone in your household that's ready to be baptized, uh, this is how you register. Whether it's a child, a youth, whether it's you yourself, you think you're about ready to be baptized, uh, we'd love to kind of help you take that journey, and we're going to have a great celebration on that day. And then week six is going to be Palm Sunday, and we're going to just stop and look at everything Jesus experienced uh, that last week up to Easter. And boy, we're just going to walk through the scriptures and just kind of see. I think it's going to set us up well. And then Easter weekend, the whole concept is going to be grace. And we're expecting uh, online, on the property, uh, 4,001 that are going to be here on Easter. And I would remind you, uh, everybody here is responsible for the one. That there's someone right now you are thinking about not just your family member who goes to another church. I'm talking about someone who just really needs an experience of God's grace. Uh, they turned off God, don't believe in God. The church has turned away from them, or maybe they've turned away from church. And that you're beginning to, to create an opportunity to invite them to come with you and to see what God's going to do. And then, we'll go ahead and tell you, after Easter, we're planning a three-week message series. If you're watching online and you got caught up in all the, the raven uh, thing, I know it's going to touch so many people around the world. We're going to do three weeks on navigating storms. I mean, we know all what it's like to have a storm. And, man, this church, we a lot of family in have experienced those storms firsthand. So we're going to do three weeks before Mother's Day on what the Bible says, how we can navigate these kind of storms. So that's, that's kind of where we're headed. Uh, this morning, though, Luke chapter 15, it's a familiar story. We've read it here in this church many times. Some of you know it well. Uh, some of you, this is going to be the first time. But I'm asking all of us listen with virgin ears. I want you to listen like you're hearing it for the very first time. Now, I'm going to ask you to mute me real quick like Jack, because I'm about to blow my nose. <laughs> Can you do that, Jack? Here we go. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Do I, do I get it all off? Okay, all right, just, just, okay, we're good. Let's pray. God, your word is so perfect, and we are so imperfect. Uh, your word has so much truth in it and so much grace. And this morning we're reading a story that some here in this room and some watching online, some in different places of the world here in this sanctuary, True Worth, have read it many times. And I'm praying, God, they would hear it this morning as if it's the first time. And God, there are some here not even sure if they believe in you. Some that have dialed in online, they're not even sure about this thing called church. That's why they watch online, because it's safe. It is my prayer, God that you would pour out a large portion of your grace upon all who in this moment can hear my voice and they would be touched by you. I mean, really touched. Because God, I know that a touch can change everything. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. Tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Okay, let's take a list. Who's here? First of all, we have the tax collectors that are here. Those are Jewish people who have gone rogue. 
And they're working for the enemy, that is the Roman nation, gouging their peers with unjust and unfair taxes. The next are the sinners. Those are Jews who would rather be Gentiles. They turn their back on the Jewish law and say, we want to live, holly golly, however we want to live. And then you get the Pharisees. These are the religious elitists. And these are the guys that have memorized the first five books of the Bible. And they think pretty highly of themselves. And they hold court over everybody else and kind of hold stuff over them. Because they're better. Because they know the Scripture. So these Pharisees, they see this teacher called Jesus hanging out with these other guys, these tax collectors and sinners, and they say, what kind of teacher hangs out with those people? Jesus, who's a teacher, a rabbi, hears, understands, comes over to them, and he starts telling them some stories. Now, these stories in the Bible are called parables. Say parables. A parable is a story where a teacher is going to use to get you to answer two questions. Here's the first question. Who, are, who am I in the story? So I just want you to be thinking, okay, who am I in the story? Second question is, what is the state of my heart? They tell these parables hoping that every listener would connect with a concept or a character where they understand what's going on in their heart. And then he starts telling the stories. We're going to skip to story number three. Jesus told the story, verse 11, there was a man. He had two sons. The young one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, this was quite a way to start a story. And if you were back there in the Middle East, you would have gone, wow, you got to be kidding me. Because here's what the guy's really saying. The son is saying to the dad, hey, dad, you're dead to me. The hearers would have been going, what? Yeah, dad, you're dead to me. That's what he's saying. Just give me my money, dad. You're dead to me. Hey, it's one thing, if you're a little Jewish uh, young guy, to go to your dad and say, hey, dad, I need, I need a little, can I borrow a little bit of money uh, from our donkey? I got to, you know, the donkey needs a little care. Or, hey, mom, can I borrow a little money from you? I, I need a little help here paying for my, my rabbinical books and everything for the school, this rabbi school I'm going to. It's a whole other thing while your parents are still alive. And you say, hey, listen, I want you to give me what belongs to me in, my, in your will right now. In other words, you're dead to me. That's what he's saying. Now, to understand the concept of this, that in the Jewish culture in the Middle East, the family was deeply connected to the land on which they lived because their land was passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation, and their land or their property was the narrative of their family story. It told the identity of their family. And so here's what the young son is saying to his dad. Dad, I want you to divide up your identity. I want you to cut up yourself and give it to me because you're dead to me. I want no part of the family business. I want your money, but I don't want you. I want the father's resources, but I don't want to have a relationship with the father. That's what he's saying. Uh, several years ago, on the first trip that I was able to take to Israel, into the Holy Land, uh, the bus we were on got caught up in this massive funeral procession. 
uh, just hundreds of people just walking the streets. We couldn't even drive. We had to pull over and stop. Uh, we all got off the bus out of respect. And I asked our tour guide, man, can you, can you find out what happened? Oh, man, this is, seemed like a bigger deal than just a regular funeral. And uh, to find out there was a 42-year-old guy, young man, had big family, died of a heart attack. But there was more to the story. We didn't find this out until a couple of days later when he finally got to speak to the widow. And here's what she said. Yeah, my husband died of a heart attack just a few days later, but he really died three months ago when our son came home and said, Dad, you're dead to me. Now, there's some of you here in the house and watching online, maybe in Sanctuary True Worth, you know exactly what the parent is feeling here because you have a child who's come to you and turned their back on you. They turned their back on your faith. They turned their back on the church. They turned their back on what you value. Some of you have someone in your life, a family member, who said, you know what? You're dead to me. I don't want anything even to do with you. And if this is you, you have some idea what the father is feeling in this story. In Jesus' culture, if somebody would have done this, the extended family would have taken issue with the perpetrator, in this case, the young son. And they would have said, hey, man, uh, you can't do that here. In fact, you're out of the family. You can't come back. You're labeled an outcast. Don't want to see you again. In some rare cases, they would actually stone the perpetrator to death. Now you understand the setting. The young one said to his father, verse 12, give me my share of the estate. Here it comes. So he divided his property between them. Who's them? You got the young punk, right? The young salty punk, and you got the older goody two-shoes bigger brother. Now, in the Jewish family, Middle Eastern culture, the oldest sibling gets a double portion of the will. You know what double portion means? That means get twice as much. So in this case, you got two sons. So the father has got to make sure one-third goes to the younger son. The other two-thirds gets to go for the older so he's got to find a real estate agent. He's got this land, got this property. That's the, that's the estate to help him sell off one-third, find a buyer who will buy only one-third, uh, close the deal, get the proceeds, give the one-third to the younger son, hold the two-thirds over here, man, really for the older son in the future. That's what he's got to do. And when you read right here where it says he divided his property between them, that word divided in the Greek root is bio, B-I-O. That's where you and I get the word biology. Here's what Luke is saying. The father who was disrespected, humiliated, embarrassed, and shamed by his child is going to divide his own life his biology, his identity, and give it to this kid. Here's the first thing in your message notes. Grace, 
Grace is God's ridiculous bit to give even when it doesn't make sense. What parent would do that when a kid's behaved that way? Uh, some of y'all know we have a little two-year-old granddaughter. Her name is Lennox. Uh, she comes over on most Fridays. We, I call them Papa Fridays. Dallas calls them Didi, uh, Didi Fridays. I'm right. It's Papa Friday. <laughs> and she comes over on Papa Didi Friday, and she came over one time over the wintertime, and, and she had poopy dopper after poopy dopper after poopy dopper. Try, not trying to gross you out, but there were just a lot of them. And every one of these poopy divers was sky, a beautiful sky blue. I mean, it was beautiful. I mean, I thought, I almost took a picture of it. I thought better of it. I thought one day she may come back at me for Papa for taking a picture, like a picture of my poop, and you showed it in church, so I didn't do that. But, man, it was amazing. You just wanted to put your fingers in. It was like Play-Doh. I know too much information, I know. But it was incredible. I thought, wow, that's amazing. And something's got to be not right here, you know. I mean, perfectly sky blue. And no names will be disclosed. It doesn't need to be. Uh, but I found out what happened is that a grandparent had access to an unlimited supply of cupcakes with this beautiful blue thick icing. <laughs> and she got cupcake after cupcake and giving it more and more and more. And the more was given, the more she took. And she wouldn't stop, took, 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 took. took. And you see the end result of this beautiful blue deposit in her diaper. <laughs> Every grandparent knows this. You have a bit toward giving even when it doesn't make sense. That's the heart of the father who gives and gives and gives and gives even when it's not rational to give. That's who God is. Some of you may have kept up with the story over in Dallas when a police officer by the name of Amber Geiger uh, she goes home, goes to the wrong place, off duty, pulls her weapon, shoots Botham Jean. Uh, she is convicted of murder. At her punishment trial, the brother of Botham asked to speak. Here's a small glimpse. If you truly are sorry, I know. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see... I. I personally want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Grace. Is the ridiculous bit to forgive, even when it doesn't make 
sins. So the kid in verse 13 gathers up all this stuff. He takes off. Goes to a far, far far land, squanders his wealth in wild living. Now, I'm not going to try to describe wild living to some of you. Some of you could describe wild living to me. Some of you know exactly what it's like to throw off all the barriers and all the limitations and just try to experience everything and anything you want with no boundaries. And that's what he does. Loses everything, spent everything he had. Verse 14, he finds himself in a severe famine. He's hungry. He's lonely. He's tired. He's scared. He has to be, he's in need. He goes to, verse 15, to a wealthy Gentile, begs the guy, could you give me a job? Now, here's what I want you to understand in this time and culture. If somebody comes to you and asks you for a job, you're really bound to give it to them. But here's the, if you didn't want to hire them, here's what you'd do. You'd give them a job they wouldn't want, so they would self-select out. So I tell you what, yeah, I'll give you a job. Go feed my pigs. Now, to understand this, the Hebrew culture, pigs were disgusting. And they would all be laughing. Really? This guy's feeding the pigs? <laughs> they would just be overwhelmed because that's the most disgusting animal. He was so desperate that he would even feed pigs. Now, to put this in perspective, to make this relative, let's say you're a professional Major League Baseball player. And you're about at the very end of your, your, your career. And you start going to every team, trying to get on with every team. And you go to almost every team, and no one will accept you. There's only one team left. Only one team left. The Houston Astros. <laughs> and you go, I am so desperate. I'll even go play with them. They might have me banging trash can lids or something, but even then, I'll go play. That's how desperate this guy was. And then it says in verse 17, he comes to his senses. That is a Hebrew euphemism for repentance. Here's what repentance means. Repentance means you're going this way in your life. You're living your life like you want to, and all of a sudden you, you come to your senses. And you go, what am I doing? And you turn and go in the opposite direction, and you actually go home. You're over here. You're living your life. I mean, you're just doing it the way you want, the way you think, the way you like. Oh, you, no limitations. It's all about you. Me, 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 me. You come to your senses, and you go, man, what I'm doing is not working. Let me ask you, I wish I could take some, really, really take some time here. Is how you're living your life, how's it working for you? I'm not talking about how your spouse is living their life or your kids are living their life or their boss. I'm not talking, you, how is the way you're choosing to live your life, how is it working for you? Anybody here need to come to their senses and turn around and go home 
Come home to the Father. Come home to the teachings of Jesus. Come home to the way of grace, the way of forgiveness, the way of goodness, the way of speaking the truth in love, the way of turning the other cheek, the way of loving your enemy, the way of loving those who persecute you. Anyone, anyone at all, need to stop some of the stupid stuff that you're doing to destroy your own body. And come to your senses and come back to the Father and honor God by the way you take care of your body. I'm just asking. The young man comes to his senses. And he comes back to the Father and he goes, oh my gosh, I just hope my Father will accept me back as a hired servant. A hired servant meant he wouldn't live in the house, he'd live outside the city gate with the servants who are paying off their debt, and he's got a big debt to pay. And so then he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home, verse 18, and I'm going to say to my dad, Dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. In other words, he's working on his speech for the dad. Hey, anybody here, go back in time. Remember you got in trouble? And, you're, and when you got home, you got to talk to dad or talk to mom. But all in the day, you practiced your speech. Because if you thought if you got a perfect speech, you'd get in less trouble. The discipline would go down. Anybody here who doesn't think they pray right? And you think, well, God must not be doing this for me because my speech, my prayer isn't a good prayer. If that's you, you don't understand grace because grace has nothing to do with your speech. Grace has nothing to do with your prayer. Grace is something that God does. So the kid's practicing his speech. He says, I'm going to go home and give my dad his speech. And it says right there in verse 20, he got up, he goes to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Two things I want you to get here. Number one, the kid never got to say one word of his speech. <laughs> Before he could say a word of his speech, the father put his arms around him and slobber kissed him from head to toe. I mean, just wet slobber kisses. And the other thing I want you to notice, the father just didn't, the kid just didn't, the dad just didn't stand there and wait for the kid. Here's what I think happened. The father, this very wealthy, prominent man, he's got servants. Every morning he wakes up, climbs up the stairs to the top of his roof to look out, looking for his kid. On this morning, he wakes up, the servants are with him. He climbs up the stairs, goes to the top. The servants go with him. He looks out. He's looking every morning for his son. Is he coming home? Is he coming home? Is he coming home? And he looks, in the, he looks at a distance. He sees a silhouette. I think that's a person. Well, yeah, that is a person. And the way they're walking, that's how my kid walks. Hey, 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 guys, look at that. Is that, is that, is that my son? And the servants are going, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it is. What do you want us to do, master? And there was no answer. You know why there was no answer? Because the father, man, he was running. My son, my son, my son, where, my son, my son, my son, my son, my son. My, no, you're not my son. <laughs> and some of you are going, what? 
is that crazy pastor doing? And that's what everybody in town would have thought. What is that crazy dad doing? Read the scripture, verse 20. The scripture said he had compassion. That word compassion in the Greek, in the plural form, is where you and I get the word for womb, W-O-M-B. He is saying that the Father, at the core of his being, had tenderness for what came from the womb of God, his son. And he was so moved, he was compelled to action to run after his son. Now, one of my teaching trips to Ethiopia, we parked the van, supposed to be there at 9, we get there at 10. We get out of the van, I run to the front as quick as I could and say, Hi, so glad you're here. 300 faces, not smiling, looking at me like this. I went, oh no, something's wrong. We taught the whole day. The day is over. The head area pastor over that area comes to me and says, uh, Pastor, is everything okay? I said, yeah, I guess. He said, why are you asking? So when you got here, you ran. He said, why did you run? Well, we were late. He said, Pastor, uh, they know they're supposed to wait for you. You have position, you have authority, you have influence. You're the teaching pastor from America. And when you run, you embarrass yourself and you embarrass the office of being a pastor. In your notes, grace is God's ridiculous Relentless pursuit of his kids. God is willing to embarrass himself. God is willing to humiliate himself to do whatever it takes to lower himself because he cares about his relationship with you. That is the grace of the Father. And so the kid, he's just overwhelmed by this, and he tries to give the speech. He said, my dad, my dad, verse 21, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I shouldn't even be called your son. But the father said, stop talking. Servants, bring out the robe. Put the ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Kill it. The kid's trying to give his speech. The dad says, stop it. And when his arms are stretched, they put a robe on him, the servants do. Uh, they, they, they dig down, they take off the sandals of his head on, they wash off the pig slop, they put brand new sandals on, they put a ring on his finger. The robe, it meant that he had a new identity. He was lost, but now he is found. Uh, the ring, it meant that he had the authority to sign for anything the father owned and he could have it. Of the sandals meant he is now walking again in the way of the Father. Bring out the calf. Let's have a party. And some of you are going, big deal, fattened calf. I can go to H-E-B, get all the beef I want. I was in Ethiopia on a teaching opportunity. And again, that evening, a local pastor said, Pastor, would you have the honor of coming and eating with my family? So I said, sure. I got to go sit down in a little hut. This little grass little place, and 
They bring out the food, and everybody has the same thing except me. I had the same thing plus one little piece of meat. And I felt, I can't eat that unless everybody eats it. And they said, no, 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 please, please, please. And they interpreted there to make me understand. And here's what I learned. That little piece of meat, three months of his salary. Three months, that little piece of meat. And they only serve that kind of meat to really have a party and to honor someone. And the father said, bring out the whole calf for everybody. Because my son was lost, and now he is found, and we are going to have a party. Now, while that's going on, uh, the older son, he's out working. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. Got his nose to the grindstone, smells the meat, hears the party, comes back in right there in verse 26 and says, hey, what's going on? Man, your brother, uh, he came home. I mean, your dad ran after him and caught him and brought him back in here. We're having a party because he was gone, and now he's back safe and sound. Verse 28, the brother became so angry, he refused to go in. His father went out and pleaded with him. Now, here's what this means. Both sons, the father went out to look for because both sons were lost. We got some older siblings in the house, and you don't even know it, but you're lost. You don't have a relationship with the father. Both sons, they didn't really care about the relationship. They just wanted what the father could give them. Are there any of you here? The only reason you're here is so God will give you something. You don't care about the relationship. You just want God to do this and God to do that and God to do this. And, God, and if God doesn't do it, you're done. That's the heart of the son and the older son. But he answered his father, Dad, all these years I've been slaving for you. Verse 29, I never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Really? Here's grace, verse number three. Grace is celebrating others' experience of God's ridiculous grace. The younger older brother, he couldn't celebrate. He didn't understand grace. Grace is God doing for somebody else what doesn't make sense. And grace is allowing God to do it and to not get you all bent out of shape. See, the older, the older brother didn't understand grace. Why is God being so good to him? The, old, the older brother was just as lost. The father had to go look for both of them because neither one of them cared about the relationship. They just wanted dad to do stuff for them. And the older brother was a legalist. He was lost because he was so good. And some of you are going, what? Lost because he was so good? You know what I'm talking about. You're just so good. But your heart is nowhere close to the heart of God. But on the outside, you just do everything right. Here's what a legalist is right here. A legalist is someone who seeks to attain, gain, and maintain acceptance with God by keeping written or unwritten code or standard for performance. That's a legalist. A woman told me, you know what, Pastor? 
I think that I've been obeying God so I could avoid him. Let me repeat that. Pastor, I think I've been obeying God so I could avoid him. Any of you try just to obey your parents so you can avoid them? That's why some of you act up. You act up because if you act up, you get the attention. But some of you do the other. You obey. I visited with another guy. He said, Pastor, I'm so proud. I've read my Bible 51 mornings in a row. I just want you to know, 51 mornings in a row. I said, really, skip it tomorrow morning. He said, why? I got a streak going. 51 mornings. You want me to skip it? I said, yeah. It'd be good for your heart. Because you think you're good because you've gone 51 mornings. 51 mornings doesn't make you good. It's the relationship with God that makes you good. There's nothing you can do that's going to make you good. Anybody remember the Jeff Foxworthy? You might be a redneck if. Real quickly, you might be an older sibling. If. Ten of them, real quick. You cannot have time to write these down. I'm going to go quick. You might be an older sibling if you can't celebrate other people's joy. You might be an older sibling if you constantly compare yourself with other people. Well, I don't do what they do. I didn't do that. My gosh, I wouldn't wear that to that place. Can you believe that where she's wearing that? I would never wear And you kind of, you, you know, you might be an older sibling. You might be an older sibling if you can't talk with certain types of people. Well, man, you, they voted for Trump. I can't talk to them. Hey, they're going to vote for Bernie Sanders. Can you believe that? You, we, we cannot go out to dinner with them. We can't be around those kind of people. We just can't do it. Uh, you're an illegal alien? Get out of here. I can't talk to you. I mean, you're, uh, you have a different sexual orientation than I have? I can't talk to you. I can't. I can't, can't, can't. If that's you, you might be an older sibling. If you have no one in your circle that you're pursuing a relationship with who is far from God, you might be an older sibling. If you have no one in your life, in your friendship circle, who's doubting faith, who's questioning faith, because you want to make sure only the right people are in your circle, you might be an older sibling. If you have unwritten standards no one else but you can meet, well, they'll never meet my standards. My standards are up here. You might be an older sibling. You might be an older sibling if you say, you know what, you have to believe and behave like me before you can hang with me. Now, if you believe like me and you behave like me, we can be friends. But if you don't believe like I do and don't behave like I do, I can't have anything to do with you. And yet Jesus, who was the oldest sibling, hung out with prostitutes and tax tax collectors and you name it. You might be an older sibling if your morals have created a window that separates yourself from other people. I I can't be seen with those kind of people, you know. Uh, You might be an older sibling if you obey God to avoid God. You might be an older sibling if you think God owes you. Dadgummit God, I've done everything right. Really, God, I go to church every Sunday. I read my Bible all the time. I give, I serve, and yet still, God, you're not doing this for me. Dadgummit, God, you owe me. You might be an older sibling. And lastly, you might be an older sibling if you burn on the inside, not outside, 
with anger that your life has been so unfair. God, it is, my life has been so unfair. It's not, it's just not fair. How come it happened, it's good for them and good for them, but it's not, it's just unfair. Uh, now, as a recovering older sibling, literally and spiritually, three actions. Self-awareness, Chris brought this up last week. You got to be self-aware of where these little things are in your heart. You got to know your heart. And once you know your heart, where you're kind of the victim, then you got to acknowledge it. And then thirdly, uh, you got to release it. Because if you don't release it, you're going to find yourself outside the party. And you're going to be the victim. You're going to be the blamer. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be on the outside and you're going to miss out. Because you're just, you got to let it go. Now, the person telling this story is Jesus. And Jesus was the older brother. And the job of the older brother is to hold the family together. And so Jesus, the firstborn, read the Bible, he's the firstborn. He looks out and sees all of his lost older brothers and little sisters and all over, and he goes, God, on the cross, I'm going to ask you to do something pretty ridiculous. My brothers and sisters out here, older ones and younger ones, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. called grace. I want to invite you to take just a moment to get in touch with who are you in the story? Who are you? Are you the younger child? Is this the morning where you come to your senses? You've wandered far away from God. And you're kind of waking up and going, you know what, it's really not working for me. That peace that I long for, that confidence, that assurance, just knowing that I'm really forgiven time to come home. If that's you this morning, I'd love to pray with you. We've got other staff that'll pray with you. I'll be out in the crossing. I'd just love for you to come up and say, hey, I'm that younger child. And this morning, I just need someone just to, I need a little grace this morning. Or maybe some of you are the parent. You've been hurt deeply by a child. You're the grandparent, someone in You've had a kid and walk all over you. They turn their back on you. And you're bleeding. I want you to remember what the father did. He ran after that kid in compassion. And he wrapped his arms around them. Can you do that today? Can you make that phone call? 
Can you take the first step of reconciliation? Will you do that, Dad? Will you do that, Mom? Will you do it? Or maybe you're the older sibling and you're so proud of how good you are. <laughs> uh, you just really told the line all the time. But you realize you're really far from the relationship with the Father. you've come to your senses and you want a relationship with the living God God we thank you for your grace we thank you for Jesus we thank you for him showing us how to live showing us how to be in a family we thank you for his wisdom and his teaching and God, help us to move beyond believing it and help us to practice it. And that even as you have given us grace, I pray you'd help us to give it away. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. If you're new, I'd love to meet you. Have a great week.